0: you can be as hyped up as you want to be you yeah, know yeah like, it's, it's the hype moment if you're feeling like you want to just like go for it i, don't, I feel I'm like this try. should be a cold open i'm
1: gonna give my florence oh we're definitely using the blooper i'm gonna give my florence hey. <laughs> welcome to au city a storytelling podcast where all the fix are fixed and procrastination abides as long as it can before being wrestled into submission how's that <laughs>
0: Beautiful. That was so hard to silently <laughs> laugh during.
1: <laughs> uh, we have run out. Our our fuck shortage continues, as you know. I am your co-host. V pronouns she and they, a feral raccoon in temporary human form, cursed by a fae trickster into living under capitalism in 2022.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, and the I- that's the tone. That's the tone (laughs) that is the tone that's the tone and I the disembodied laughter from the previous moment am your other co-host Ray pronouns are he and they and if you haven't noticed I am a chaotic hyena that's currently being haunted by possible stripper slash sex worker ghosts we have no clue either way thank you for joining us
1: we are gonna need to go back a couple seconds to unpack that though because uh, can you describe the moment when you're like oh ghosts and then I said oh so stripper ghosts and you didn't understand why I had asked
0: that I still have no like it's it's one of those moments where I am just completely believing you because I have I don't have this experience say, but So
1: so it's, it's an Alexa what is it it's a
0: okay it's a, no so it's it's a okay we have a Amazon fire tv and The other day, my mom and I were binge watching the new season of, actually, it was the old season of Fate, The Winx Saga on Netflix. Which we'll
1: talk about later, Um, but not now. Go on.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I do personally adore it and its horridness. Mom also loves it. And so uh, we were watching that. We were in the middle of like some big fight scene or like leading up to a fight scene. And I walked out of the room because I was making dinner at the same time. And we've already seen the show. You know, we're just refreshing, recapping for the new season. And... All of a sudden, this 80s song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend starts playing. And because I'm not that, in the room.
1: Right there. That yeah, was the moment right that there. I was like,
0: whoa, whoa. Yeah, hold right up. there. Let's and, talk about that. And meanwhile, this is like a day later when I'm telling V. So this is like, you know, far off from my brain at this point. But I ha- like realize this song is uh, playing. The song keeps going for like an ex- exorbitant amount of time for a song in a TV show. And suddenly, like I look up and it's like, A dramatic scene and the music is playing over it, and yet people are kind of talking. And I'm like, God, this is a really weird like moment for this. And the next second, my mom turns around and looks at me, and she goes, "Why the hell is the music playing? Where did this come from?" And I'm like, "I I don't know. I thought it was part of the scene." And she pauses the the show, and the music keeps going, and we have no idea what started it, how it started. We don't have like the Alexa feature turned on on the TV, and on top of that. Like I said, the weirdest part for me is that I actively knew the only app that was open on the smart TV was Netflix because I had actively turned it all off and restarted it earlier in the day. And so far, the only thing we had done since that point was watch Fate on Netflix.
1: So so the fact that you didn't know that that was like a classic 80s stripper song. I had um, no aside. I I would like like to use this moment to issue a challenge to our listeners, uh, to write in to us at our email which is aucitypod at gmail.com and if you have a formative memory or any associations with that specific song uh everybody's working for the weekend which if you want to sing it i'm not going to I'm not uh, gonna. Yeah, uh, I can't even remember the artist, honestly, but I have no clue. I had to so just ubiquitous. Google it. Like I literally was I had to
0: confirm that that was in fact yeah. the name of the song.
1: Please do email if there is a non stripper related memory and or connotation to that song that you know of that makes this whole situation me actually projecting on this situation. But I feel <laughs> this, is, this is an important social study uh, that it we is. should do. Anyway.
0: Actually, yeah. Cause I have no idea. and it could like, it really could just be our generational gap. But I just don't know. Whoa, I really whoa,
1: whoa, whoa! Generation we have a gap. little bit of okay, one. Okay, okay, all we right. We have a bit of one. Okay, I didn't realize we were going hostile today. Okay, we're all not right. going hostile. Well, that actually segues nicely into our our <laughs> next. Since I'm already kind of feeling like ruffled today, wow! Um, before okay, we I get started on our thing, <laughs> I'm not really. I'm not. We're not really fighting. I'm just. It's working back.
0: <laughs> He but, likes to tell us that we're fighting, it's fine.
1: It's, well, you know, for the drama. Some people like to have such a <laughs> ship in peril. Um, before we get started today, I do have a quick housekeeping item. It's more, well, it's more like an act of diplomacy. Uh, that's right, kids. It's AU City's first official retraction. Hey, we form- made it until episode eight. And <laughs> the form of an apology, which is my bad. Therefore, I will be recording directly. Uh, I will read read it, actually. I'm going to be reading it directly from my iPhone Notes app, according to online traditions. And I am
0: watching. I am the witness.
1: Here here we go. Um, (laughs) Okay, so before we get into themes of today's episode, I have some quasi-official business. It has been brought to my attention by our only fan, my partner, uh, that I made a comment in episode two of this podcast that contrasting the viewer experience of a more casual type of personality. Something along the lines of unlike me and Ray, you know, who tend to randomly hyperfixate and obsess over a work of fiction to the point where we could easily write a dissertation on the characters, the backstory, the canonical and non canonical references to various characters, queerness and neurodivergence and so forth, based on our rather maladaptive, immersive approach to consuming the stories that we love Hannibal Lecter style. Anyway, I think I said something like, some people just want to watch a show and not have any kind of emotional buy-in. They just want to watch the show and be entertained. Something like that. Per my partner, and probably also my mom, though she has not called me about this yet, (laughs) this is blatant erasure, and I should feel bad about it. Therefore, (laughs) I hereby apologize publicly and officially for my clumsy, careless, callous wording in this case. I did not mean to imply that my partner did not wholeheartedly sob along during that scene in Inside Out when Bing Bong heroically sacrificed himself and his rocket wagon to ensure that Joy made it out of the memory dump safely just as I would never intentionally erase the epic angst spiral that resulted from the Twilight of The Apprentice finale of the second season of the animated television series Star Wars Rebels. As a millennial, Uh. I'd also never dare, never dare, Ray, make light of the matching R-tax shaped scars we all bear. In that moment, we were all a you and together we mourned a lifetime. (laughs) Finally, (laughs) I want to clarify that when I said some people prefer not to assign themselves extra credit levels of emotional labor (laughs) for a show, I did not mean to overgeneralize or to be pejorative toward any fic attachment style. I know we're laughing, but we're dead fucking serious about this, people, okay? We're very In serious. fact, I think we can all agree, my partner and my mother included, that every <laughs> fan metaphorically adopts fictional characters on some level by empathizing with them, buying the merch, or even borrowing certain character traits they admire or want to emulate from their favorite characters like Samwise Gamgee, for example, who no matter how hard, Frodo tries. We'll just not leave an emo bitch to suffer their (laughs) angst alone. Just as a for instance. Anyway, as we've said before, we value all kinds of ships here at AU City, Mm -hmm. even the OTPs that get mad at messy podcast hosts for being (laughs) messy. In the words of the snake from the Southern Parable, you knew what I was when you picked me up, but also I am genuinely, sincerely, very sorry. (laughs) That ends our first official retraction. You uh,
0: that was possibly the best thing that I have experienced all month.
1: <laughs> Later we'll talk about this, but you know, when you're a kid and you mess up and they tell you you have to apologize. Um, I unfortunately kind of made a career out of that, um, making my apology so epic that not only was the original offense forgiven, but like the one time I had to write a letter to a teacher in my school and the principal was like, You should be a writer,
0: and I was like, "Thank
1: you." (laughs) Anyway, long story short. So, uh,
0: (laughs) yeah, that's amazing. That was amazing. Thank you Um, to the fan. We hope that you accept this heartfelt apology. I know I laughed through the entirety of it, but it was just because it was fantastic. (laughs) So We, we do try, and hopefully, Jake knows how much I adore him. So, yeah. It is heartfelt, obviously, (laughs) even though the apology was not from me and was from you, the partner, but still. (laughs) We're in this together,
1: partners and crime. Exactly.
0: Okay. So now that we have officially done our first retraction and finished up the housekeeping for at least this portion of the episode, I'm going to go ahead and walk us back down our quick and very short memory lane, (laughs) I think. Uh, Back in episode four, we had discussed uh, crossover episodes and how that, like, uh, I believe it was the episode before that, episode three, you made fun of me because I kept talking about Hannibal, so um, we decided to go ahead and just combine those things, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and because today's theme, we are doing a full mashup of two challenges. It is officially the crossover and cannibalism. So.
1: which which for you, cannibalism isn't really a challenge. It's more like a
0: hobby. I'm joking. I'm joking. Ray doesn't eat. People. I've never eaten meat. I just happen to not care about cooking. while I am watching Hannibal.
1: <laughs> no, if, again, if you go back and listen to the episode, it will make more sense to you. But yeah. I feel like the mashup you we discussed, you know, was like, hey, if you had to combine two shows you're watching that have like similar vibes, but different setups mm-hmm. or even different genres, but similar vibes like this, mm-hmm. it it percolated. I liked it. So yeah.
0: Yeah. This was another one of uh, V's mashup ideas. Basically, we were trying to figure out exactly what we wanted to do for the kind of not, obviously, we're not at the end of the season yet, but we're heading towards the wrap up of season one. And so we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And V was going back trying to figure out exactly like what stuff we had proposed that we hadn't taken care of yet. And the percolation made V give me a prompt, which was basically, what would you do if you put Nancy and Hannibal in the same universe together? And I kind of, I fucked around. I fucked around a lot is, is the answer to that. And then V uh, kind of wanted to play off of something that they had already worked on, which was the like Buffy hush episode crossover that they had done as well. So we are going to be seeing a few of fandom's favorites crossing over with Nancy Drew today. If you, yeah, so. I think,
1: I'm sorry if you heard my chair squeaking just then. I just oh, said okay. it to
0: completely, I it was sitting too straight for me and I couldn't <laughs> handle it. You're good. It I understand. I saw the movement the chair. And I was like, gonna. I was just going to let it happen. So yeah,
1: it's part, it's all part of the thing, lap cats okay. and, and queer sitting, um, yeah, oh, yeah, I think that's you. Pretty much said it all. And honestly, it's kind of where this is the showy episode, you know. So it's like instead of telling you, it's to show you. Um, my one thing is, I'm going to add a disclaimer that the procrast- the procrastination, was very strong with me this week. And on top of like me having a million projects I'm working on, so I will be honest with you, my scene is unhinged. There's little <laughs> to no world building that makes sense. Uh, it's about the vibes for me. The vibes. I've I've said this multiple times in this podcast. I loathe explaining how magic systems work. Or how human emotions work. So I will be taking liberties with both physics and psychology in this.
0: Honestly, if you're going to do it, it should be with a Buffy crossover. Like when, when in Rome, you know. And like, yeah, like I could mock you. I really could, but I'm not going to because I also took some liberties this week.
1: Nice. (laughs) I would expect nothing less.
0: Yeah, it was. It's just one of those things. And I know that we've kind of we both talked about this when we were writing our scenes. We both were having struggles with, I think, the world building aspects initially. And around the time that V told me that they were struggling, I had just had that moment of, you know what? fuck it. I, this is a fic. like I, it doesn't matter. We're just going to have fun. I want to put these two people in a scene and I know exactly what I'm going to do now because I was having too difficult of a time really setting up a situation for season four, Nancy drew quote unquote um, at least hours where Hannibal would be relevant. And so I kind of decided to just jump forward and be like, we're just going to do season four B who knows which is not a
1: well, bad idea because yeah we can do whatever we that, want
0: that happens you know and it's a cw show they've got like b side seasons all the time and you know it's not it's not uncommon to have like a big crossover arc blah 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 shit. shit happens who cares so this is just one of those days where we you know we did our best we're coming back after a break and we're having fun with it and fucking around because that's the entire point of the show
1: so, yeah, I'm I will probably uh, need to mute myself for my reactions that I'm guessing I'm going to have. So I'll do that
0: and I'll let you describe <laughs> what we're about to taste. All righty. So I did not know what to do initially when uh, V first brought to me the idea of putting Nancy and Hannibal in a fix together. I had no clue because their worlds are very, very, very different, especially with Nancy just being The hero who solves all the crimes, it is it's impossible to put her in the same story as a criminal who has not been caught without some level of her being involved in catching them, I believe. Like, it's just something that I had a really hard time coming to terms with was like, how do I put this in a scenario where it actually seems plausible for Nancy to be, you know, dealing with with Hannibal? And so I decided to just go full mini fanfic demon. And I decided to put Nancy in a Clarice Starling situation where, um, and I believe part of this was actually uh, V inspired as well. Like V said something about like Nancy interviewing Hannibal. And I was like, oh, okay. And as soon as I like heard that, I got my claws into an idea, which was essentially Nancy as Clarice. Which seems like a really actually interesting possible concept because, yeah, I feel like Nancy totally could go into the FBI at some point. Um, I feel like it is a natural growth for her if she does ever, you know, decide to go to college and do undergrad and all of that. So um, since we also have the access to Agent Park and V reminded me of that, we have we have situations here. We have some good situations. So I decided just to roll with it. This does not have really anything to do with the previous stuff that we've discussed aside from the season three finale involving Ace and Nancy, Um, like everything else that we have kind of set up for season four, not really that relevant aside from just a little bit of the angst, if that makes sense. So I don't bring up really anything aside from just the occasional mention of characters and some brief implications. But aside from that to move on, uh really we do have some content warnings for this unfortunately if you are not a lover of horror if you do not like hannibal if you do not like gore i do not recommend it so here's the quick list content warnings for described gore described death murder and cannibalism like i said don't listen if you're not a horror fan i did go a little bit ham not completely ham but we did have some fun
1: damn i'm scared
0: I don't think you should be scared. It's like, like I said, if you watch Silence of the Lambs, this is essentially the introduction of Clarice to Hannibal, except it is Nancy to Hannibal in my own twist. I, I did a little and, bit and of you're a twist. you talking here. the dad's, sorry, Mads Mikkelsen version of Hannibal? No, not really, actually. Oh. I kind of went more for the Anthony Hopkins because we are going Silence of the Lambs. You well, will right notice then. I did do a little bit of adjustment because what I did was I took Hannibal and I plopped him into the Nancy Drew universe. But then I kind of put Nancy into a situation that was very clearly starling based in that universe, if that makes sense. So horseshoe bay is, you know, brought up, it's it's relevant. But otherwise we are mostly kind of in a silence of the lamb situation with Nancy and familiar faces. So
1: cool. Cool cool cool. Alrighty. All right. I'm excited.
0: Okay, I hope I hope it's good. We'll see what happens. It's it was just a fun cluster. So this is what happens. I don't get why you think you have to do this. Tamara asked, mindlessly switching the SUV's blinker on. They pulled off the main road onto an unmarked boulevard and down a winding road lined with trees. At the end of the drive was a looming white mass of a building surrounded by barbed wire fencing that stretched high, nearly as tall as the evergreens hiding it. In the passenger seat, Nancy took a deep breath. We have no leads. There is nothing. Park has a resource. He is a resource. So I'm using them, she said, though she didn't feel as confident as she sounded or hoped she sounded. I can't imagine Hare is happy about it either, he said. Nancy felt the weight of his prying words and the flash of his gaze instantly. What Ace doesn't know won't hurt him. It was true, and it was also necessary. Although she wasn't sure if he would be more upset about Park or the cannibal. Both, probably. Not that he would ever know about either. It didn't matter anyway. Ace's anger had nothing to do with her, even if she was th- the subject of it. His angers weren't her- hers to be concerned about. They weren't together, and they couldn't be together. So naturally, the next step was interviewing a cannibal. <laughs> the interview had several purposes put herself on the map for quantical applications, gather information that might be useful for whatever was helping himself to the people of Horseshoe Bay. And it was looking more and more like a cannibal, acting in place of the hunger of Icarus Hall more than anything. It was so rarely rarely, truly a specter or a monster. The evil was always done by humans, it seemed. I thought honesty was the bedrock for a good relationship. Tamara poked as they slowed to a stop next to the security stand. Nancy tried not to bristle. She needed to keep her composure now more than ever. We aren't dating. It's also none of your business, she said, looking out Tamura's window as it rolled down just in time for a security guard dressed fully in black to step out of the tiny booth. IDs and permits relating to your visit, the man said in a deep monotone. We're meeting Agent Park, Tamura said, handing over the black folder Nancy had been gripping tight the entire trip. Thanks to Park, it contained a judge's signature with her approval. It helped that Nancy's aptitude scores for the FBI's entry exam had been impressive. She had managed not to choke on the preliminary round, and today's interview would be a real test of her mettle. You've dealt with literal world-ending witches who ruined your life with a snap of your fingers, Nancy told herself while Tamara and the guard traded more words. You can handle one cannibal. Technically two, but she couldn't verify the second one was human yet. A moment later, Tamura handed Nancy the folder again as the car started rolling, the automatic gate slowly opening before them. Buckle up, Drew, Tamura said when the car pulled into Park in front of the nondescript entrance. He's just like anyone else who's committed a crime, Nancy said with a shake of her head. Her red hair fell over her shoulder and she tucked it behind her ear as she slammed the door behind her. The front door opened and Agent Park stepped out instantly, waving with two fingers as Tamura and Nancy walked up to meet him. I can't believe you think this is a good idea, Tamura said to the fellow want sheriff as he outstretched his hand. Agent Park? You know how dogged Miss Drew can be, Agent Park said with a kind grin, giving Detective Tamura a firm handshake. Nice to see you, Detective. We can debrief and catch up after the interview is over, but we're on a timeline. He's only gotten till his next window of therapy. According to Dr. Charon, musical therapy has been working wonders for him, and he can't afford to miss it, Park said, a weak chuckle escaping his chest at his own words. Park explained the rules as they walked into the building, and a security escort took them to the elevator, then to the basement levels. Nancy did her best to keep her breathing controlled, even as the doors left Tamara in the lobby. Park would leave her at the door to the cannibals' caged prison. Then she would be on her own for 20 minutes. 20 minutes felt like nothing. She'd prepped as many questions as she could muster, but ultimately, Nancy knew there was nothing that would truly prepare her for this conversation. This was her future. Everything stood on the line. It wasn't just her newfound FBI dream. It was the citizens of Horseshoe Bay. It was George and Nick and Bess. Ace. There was no pattern to this. Nothing she could see. Someone had pulled a veil over her eyes so thick that she couldn't see past the picture in her own head. Nancy needed insight that she could get nowhere else but this room and this man. Your 20 minutes start as soon as the doors shut behind you. It's a time-sensitive lock. Three guards will be standing outside until your 20 minutes are up. If at any time you feel unsafe, step back behind the red line and we will enter immediately. Do not, and I repeat, do not cross the white line. The alarms will go off and you will be removed from the premises immediately. The recording of your conversation will be delivered to you in the lobby when you are escorted out by my team. Do you understand? Nancy nodded. Yes, I understand, she repeated when the security guard kept staring at her unblinking. The entire time, she stared through the glass door. It was so clear it was nearly imperceptible. Surely it was bulletproof. A moment later, a soft buzzing echoed through the chamber they stood in, and the door began to slide open again. Past the glass was a giant cage, dark metal poles reaching from ceiling to floor. A white line was painted around the cell, maybe a yard away. Another red line was painted a yard past that. The air was stagnant as she stepped in through the threshold taking one last deep breath as her gaze fell on the man she would be interviewing. Doctor fell, she said as she walked up to the white line, slowly following it until she stood opposite him. She walked around the cage with decisive steps as if she was hitting a mark on the stage. From her peripheral, she could see the guards in the glass chamber, weapons at the ready. The man stood up slowly, arms linked behind his back at the wrists. He wore a stained white jumpsuit that looked more like pajamas than prison attire. His dark hair was well cut and styled, parted to one side with sideburns that trailed down into a trimmed beard. Small circular glasses hid his eyes, reflecting off the light from the tiny windows behind Nancy. You're much younger than I anticipated, the prisoner said slowly, eyes trailing from the top of her head to the Mary Janes on her feet. They lingered too long at her bare wrists. She'd worn a dark gray pantsuit, told to cover as much skin as possible when seeing him. Nancy tried to push down the anxiety that bubbled in her throat as his gaze finally flicked back to her own. Tell me your name. His voice was surprisingly deep, more comforting than she'd anticipated. Yet it made sense. He'd been a therapist before his arrest, practicing hours before his arrest, under another name, Lecter, if she remembered from the file. But it was a small part of his storied history, and every anecdote she'd found described him as calmingly charismatic. My name is Nancy. Nancy Drew, she replied. Because Nancy Hudson still felt strange, Nancy Drew Hudson felt too much. Everything about her interactions needed to be calculated. Ah, the hero of Horseshoe Bay. I've heard tall tales of you. Many stay far out of your reach for fear of discovery. Quite a network that actively elude you. Nancy could feel a a blush creeping on her cheeks, and so she mirrored Dr. Fell's stance, arms behind her back so she could dig her nails into her palms as discreetly as possible. Hopefully a career in the Bureau might change that, Nancy replied after a moment, exhaling slowly out of her nose. I'm here for more than that, however. Have you heard of what's happening in Horseshoe Bay? While the facility was hours away, Nancy could see different newspapers piled and folded around the man's cell, one of the only things inside except for his bed, a bedpan, and the chair behind him, though when one hand was currently cuffed to it likely part of the reason his hands were still behind his back. I keep tabs on the surrounding areas. People know I watch. Send me updates from time to time, he replied with a deep sigh. Though I don't think you'll be surprised to hear that no information can be given without something in return. I am a man of capitalism and I expect payment for my knowledge, the man said, having a deep, wet sigh. It's only proper, of course, to give and to get. What are your terms? Nancy asked, swallowing as softly as she could. Knowledge for knowledge. I share what I've found and you share something you've lost. In detail. Excruciatingly so, if you don't mind. I'm only allowed to watch my shows once a week and I do crave a good story. Nancy knew this was coming. Everyone who had ever interviewed him, from the arresting officers to his lawyers and even a judge, had had to trade a story with the cannibal doctor. It was his currency and perhaps his only weakness. Unfortunately, it was also a weakness of the person he was demanding it from. It leveled the playing field infinitely. Your terms are acceptable. Would you like me to explain the case? Explain the case through your eyes. The reporters are often more biased than they realize and they taint the story. I feel you may have a more well-rounded concept. Nancy's eyes started to the clock. It felt like hours already. It had been less than five minutes. It started two months ago. A hiker found remains in the woods. The body was dumped, covered in flowers, on top of a burned pyre. It looked ritualistic, and I believe it is. The body had been opened up from the chest down and left, with the bird skull replacing the organ that had been removed. At first, it was the liver. We didn't expect cannibalism until the second body was found in a nearly identical way, with the addition of the throat being slit this time. The body had been opened again, and this time the lungs removed and two raccoon skulls left inside. A toe on the left foot had been bitten off by human teeth through the bone. The doctor let out a small, hmm, and Nancy paused instinctively. You're correct in the ritualism, he replied. Tell me about the flowers, then about the third murder. Aconite and Lobelia at the first and second. The third murder, it was different, much more intense, much less organized and practiced than the first two. The pyre burned part of the flowers and the body like it was rushed, except there were bite marks in the arms and torso and the opening was cut and then ripped. The lower jaw was ripped clean off and another bird skull was found this time in the jugular and it was a hawk. The intestines were taken and replaced again with a raccoon skull. The thigh was cut clean and the calf was torn and bitten again. He ran out of time and his hunger was growing. The doctor mused slowly, walking backward to his chair and sitting without looking. With more room, he crossed his knees and leaned forward. The chain of his cuffs clattering against the cement floor. Nancy desperately wanted to check the time, but she restrained herself, instead keeping her eyes trained on him. The body wasn't found for two days, and there was no sign of anyone near the site. If he was being tracked, there's no evidence of it, Nancy postulated, and he shook his head. His ritual. There is a timing to his ritual. Three murders in two months, and I assume you've checked the lunar cycle? It doesn't seem associated. No. No. But perhaps another alignment. Horseshoe Bay is well known for its history of fantastical legends. Some would even say it's magic.
1: The end. <laughs> That's where you're ending. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, I'm like sitting here, like, oh man, I'm glad I, glad I'm not making spaghetti right now. Um, I, <laughs> I that was spaghetti. that was intense. I literally was like biting my own finger. Um. Good. I you wasn't know, sure. I, I
0: never really knew how intense it is when, like, when I'm writing it. So that's good to know.
1: <laughs> well, you did a couple things here that I just want. Like, I'm not going to go too in depth right now because we save that for the telly episode. But I feel like you did a couple things that really interestingly, like, putting a character in a situation like this with someone who's also very observant and a character like Nancy Drew who canonically has like eidetic memory, which you know we like to use as a device of like, especially in visual storytelling, so you can be like, look, right. she remembers exactly what it looked like. And I feel like they use that a lot, but you don't often get to see um, like there's something about forcing someone to perfectly articulate. Like you started out and I was very nervous because you're like, I'm going to make you be super detailed and explain exactly, you know, how you feel. And whatever. I was like, oh, shit, Nancy's not going to like that but because I wouldn't like that either. But like mm-hmm. having someone forcing someone to relive something that they've seen it's almost like the dark side of therapy which i know is a silly thing to say because it's probably yeah. obvious
0: i mean but- yeah and that is, i mean i feel like that very much is what can't like not cannibal what hannibal's like entire mo is when he's as a therapist is someone who's obsessed with the show and the character he uses curiosity as currency and so that's where his so much of his observation and his detail orientedness comes from and the thing is Nancy does the same thing. She's just not a cannibal (laughs) slash murderer.
1: Well, Um. yeah, it's but it's almost like what's it called? Like sadistic, you know, like Mm -hmm. making forcing someone to um, describe like a traumatic thing that they witnessed in like super detail. I never really thought about it before, but I think that's why when I started watching the show, it's kind of the same thing. It's like you're forcing a character who has no empathy. Having a character has too much empathy, basically, right? It's kind of the premise mm-hmm. of that. But I think that the show is kind of like we kind of unintentionally do this, too, because when we're putting characters and like making them foils, Nancy's not going to like tell anything to anyone unless she has to. And so mm-hmm. putting her in a situation where she has to trade her thoughts for information is very like I would definitely want to watch I would want to watch and read the rest of the scene and then like many more after because that meeting of the minds would be good. So, but why did you end it here?
0: I decided to end it here because A, I've been really angsty in the past, and B, um, I knew that part of what I really wanted to do was set it up, if that makes sense. I really wanted the visual of Nancy being Clarice, if that makes sense. I wanted the reader to or I guess in this case, the listener, but you know, the audience to be able to see the moment. And so the biggest thing for me is not just just dis- like one of my favorite scenes in the entirety of the silence of the lambs is the very first introduction scene, essentially. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people will say that it is the, the scene where, you know, Clarice is bartering her bad, her past memory with the lambs, etc. But I think that one of the best scenes is just the opening where she goes in and she meets him and she realizes what the fuck she's dealing with. She wasn't that confident to go in with, but she was trying. She was doing her best to be as confident as possible. Not unlike Nancy in this situation, but when you were faced with somebody who does what you do better than you do, I think that that automatically puts you in a position where you feel like you're off of your footing, et cetera. And so part of why I wanted to... Do this here is that A, I wanted to really get into the horror of it. Um, I wanted to kind of like have the cannibalistic aspect be an actual part of the story um and not the like the emotional part be the highlight, the object of this moment, because I really wanted to kind of have a meeting of the minds between Nancy Drew, Clarice, and Silence of the Lambs, and the gorgeous, beautiful gore <laughs> that is in the <laughs> Hannibal, like, Hannibal yeah. show. Lovingly like described viscera. Yeah, it's like, it's this really interesting thing that like, I feel like it's done so beautifully in the show, but can also be translated gorgeously to text. And so, um, or well, in prose in this case. And so that was really what I wanted to highlight. I wanted to kind of focus specifically on the initial meeting of the minds and like the unsurety of that moment and then really just leaning into the Hannibal the show vibes while also like trying to keep everything melded together so yeah that was that's kind of the intent there that was a really long explanation but yeah the entire point the fic like I'm sure the entire point and the the excitement for people if they do eventually read the rest of the fic later will be the emotions and the angst yeah. coming I'm from I'm excited this.
1: to yeah. read the rest of the fic to get to find out more about like what you're discussing like the, the not the logistics but you know the what is happening with this cannibalism slash ritualistic sacrifice with animal bones oh, which I... I'm still trying to wrap because, you know, I hate world building and I especially hate figuring out like, what do you call it? Your design. <laughs> like the design.
0: That is, it's the Hannibal thing. It's the, that is literally. So yeah, yeah. Thing. It's like this is my design slash this is the murderer's that's, design. So, yeah That's why like, I
1: yeah. find myself so enthralled because it's like watching or reading a really good mystery where you're like, oh, like, what does that mean? And my brain is a, so much of that. Like I'm going to percolate on it for like days and then be like, come back and be like, Oh. I bet that little thing you dropped right there probably meant something, didn't it? But that's just so funny. Like,
0: it takes me so much more time to like. (laughs) Well, anybody who's paying attention and who knows anything about um, flowers and poisonous flowers, etc. Has some ideas about what might be going on and what I'm introducing. Um, because it's also it's all it's very on brand for me, just as yeah, a person. It very much is. I, I can definitely see it? like see I it? can confirm. Can confirm. I
1: also will say that like I know at no point and... do I ever think you do anything just willy-nilly, like I know there's a plan. <laughs> and that's why I've become increasingly paranoid when I read your stuff, I'm like there's a plan for this. You do this on Sorry. purpose, didn't you? No, I love it. I love it. And I'm honestly very excited to read the whole thing too later. Um, all right. So that, it's, I love how we balance each other's vibes without even meaning to. So with that in mind, um, I, my scene, I am writing this from Ace's POV because I owe you angst. I am also hella cheating and I'm continuing my scene, like Ray said before, from our last showy episode where the Drew crew was cloistered together at Icarus Hall, forced into a temporary vow of silence trying to figure out this new curse of theirs, which I also didn't really explain. So just, you know, vibes, just go with it, roll with it. Um, Yeah, so and I love how our balance vibe like like Ray, you know, freaked you out and creeped you out and made you and made you scared. And I, I hope to do kind of the opposite in this case. So here we go. The boy with the bowling shirt and puka shell necklace seemed the most confused. Well, this isn't Sunnydale. Ace fought off the urge to ogle the mismatched group of strangers now clustered together in the middle of Bess's Chthonian summoning circle. He couldn't believe it actually worked. George's little sister Ted had found it online, and Ace had been 50% sure it was actually a spell from a video game, and that all references to ancient chaos deities and their preferred tributes had been written by a 30-something D&D dungeon master in Cleveland or something. Good thing he hadn't been able to voice his skepticism. Your powers of observation continue to astound, Xander, said the eldest newcomer. He wore a tweed three-piece suit and talked with a posh British accent that was eerily similar to Bess's, in that the posh part sounded more like a filter than an authentic, upper-crusty vibe. Obviously, this isn't Sunnydale. The blonde girl had a tone he recognized. She was obviously the one in charge. Where are we exactly? Got any thoughts, Giles? Bess stepped forward into the circle of candlelight that made up the summoning circle smiling brightly, trying to look as non-threatening as possible in her also-tweet blazer. She held up a poster that said, Welcome to Horseshoe Bay, in large, sharpied letters. Horseshoe Bay, read the petite blonde, wrinkling her nose. Where's that? Bess helpfully flipped over her handmade sign, showing the rest of the message. A redhead standing at the back of the group stepped forward, squinting. Maine? Wow, am I bad at geography, said the blonde. I would have guessed Texas, or somewhere else where they have a lot of a's and horses don't beat yourself up buffy the redhead cooed the east coast has a lot of states and some of them are very small buffy well that was an interesting name then again ace probably shouldn't throw stones that doesn't explain how we got here though does it willow a pretty brunette popped out from behind bowling shirt flipping her hair as if pretending she hadn't just been cowering like one minute we're standing in the library talking about the hellmouth, now we're in maine Not even somewhere trendy like New York. Someone had better start explaining soon because wait, why is nobody else talking? Wow, Cordy, said Pukashell guy. What had the English chap called him? Zither? With a douchey scoff. You finally noticed that, huh? Shove it, Xander, Cordy said. I wasn't talking to you. Cordy, Buffy, Willow, Xander. What kind of stoned millennial had named these people? Xander turned to Giles, who regarded the darkened lobby of Icarus Hall with history-buff hard eyes So, what do we think, Watcher Man? Boring new hell dimension or actual main? Looking vaguely offended, Bess stepped closer, gesturing to her paper. Ace noted she'd forgotten to flip to the next page of signage that would explain why they'd summoned these people, who may or may not be the helpers they needed at this rate, to Nancy's place. Ace pushed off the wall, moving to help non-verbally communicate. Maybe one of them signed. Just then, the overhead lights flicked on and everyone blinked. Ace turned to see George standing by the light switch, looking equal parts unimpressed and impatient. They'd turned off all the lights before this for some reason. Maybe chthonic gods didn't like light bulbs? And the resulting dim had hid most of their crew from the summon ease, until now. Glaring pointedly at Bess, George gestured not so gently toward the six-foot chalkboard, that Nick had helped her roll into the room from Nancy's office. The redhead, Willow, made a beeline for it, easily stepping over the salt and ash circle surrounding the summoning, which Ace supposed meant she wasn't demonic, so that was good. Oh, look at these rhyming patterns. It's like magical math. Hey, I think they're all under some kind of spell. Bess's face lit up, and she nodded emphatically and turned her attention away from the Englishman who'd seemed to be her best bet until now. Now, fully attuned to Willow. She pointed to the board, in particular the part where she'd been having trouble reconstructing a rune. Oh, wow. The spell has some kind of anti-witchlock on it. Is that right? If Bess hadn't been sworn to silence, she definitely would have squealed. She settled for bouncing on the balls of her feet, clapping her hands without actually making the sound. Giles stepped forward then, pulling off his glasses to polish them before peering along. I don't know if I've ever seen such a complicated spell with so many different magics intertwined. Fascinating. At that, he seemed to space off to another more thoughtful dimension. Willow was still in this one, though, seemingly nerding out over Bess's makeshift equation. Okay, so the first part, whoa, it looks like the whole town is under some kind of curse or multiple curses. It looks like they're kind of layering over each other. Bess pointed to another part of the board and Willow leaned in to get a closer look. Something like this happened in our town once a few times, actually. The first time, this shy kid made a wish that everyone would think he was cool, but it backfired because, Willow, Buffy stepped up similarly to how Nancy always did, gently but firmly. We probably don't need to share the whole hellmouth curse saga right now. Oh, yeah, you're right, the redhead blushed, glancing to Bess. Sorry, I get excited about spells. Bess smiled warmly at Willow, pointing to herself. She mouthed an emphatic, me too. As her platanker, Ace knew when Bess was harboring a crush. There was definite harboring here. He'd bet at least 20 bucks on it. Besides, Xander cut in. These guys could be evil. Have we asked yet if they're evil? Ace crossed his arms, leaning back against the wall that led to a curtained off area of Icarus Hall. It felt a little like this was all a stage and these poor people were players in a show they hadn't signed up for, didn't know their lines, didn't even know what roles they had to play. On some level, he could relate. Xander, you're being rude. Willow stepped between him and Bess, already bonding. Just saying, it wouldn't be the first time. He glared over at Ace next. I don't like the look of this guy. Has anyone checked if this guy's evil? Oh, do shut up, will you? Giles waved a hand in the younger man's direction. What else can you tell us about this spell, miss? He trailed off at a loss, until Bess reached into her pocket and showed him her name tag from the claw. Bess, I assume you can't tell us verbally, and that's because of the spell? Magnetized by a fellow British person, Bess nodded sagely, leading the way to her books. My word, is that a copy of the Voyage manuscript? Giles exclaimed. Ace flinched at the volume of the voices, drawing ever closer to the chamber he guarded, where a cursed princess slept, or something like it. Too close for comfort. He shifted his stance, ready to deter or defend if needed. Not that any of these people seemed dangerous, but then he'd been fooled by seemingly harmless humans before. Not again. Not on his watch. While Ace played guardian, the girl called Cordy had made her way over to Nick, like a heat-seeking missile in chunky wedge heels. You're not evil at all, by any chance. Cordy's purr got George's attention, but the other girl missed the claw, co-owner's glare. Because if you were, I might be willing to make a special exception in your case. George stepped between Nick and Cordy, giving the new girl her best back-off face. Giles, look! They have the code of ur That's the oldest known record of written laws! Finally, unfortunately, this nerd party had gotten loud enough to wake up the boss. Ace reached for the curtain too late. Before he could even touch the heavy velvet, it was ripped back to reveal a tangle of copper hair, wild blue eyes, and a level of annoyance to rival an aglaika. Nancy opened her mouth to say something, too tired to remember she couldn't speak, and Ace had no choice but to step in and put a finger to her lips, for her own good, no other reason. Honestly, if Nancy had, n- had never allowed herself a nap, these shenanigans would not have happened she'd have put a stop to Bess's magical fuck around and find out plan for sure dazed and blinking she looked up at him for several seconds before her frown returned she remembered their situation first then seemed to realize they were still touching each other when she stepped away from him it was sudden enough to attract everyone else's notice whoa xander said looking nancy up and down in a way ace did not like is she evil xander willow rolled her eyes nobody here is evil They obviously brought us here because they need our help, which is what we do in case you forgot, helping people. Even if this place does have major cult vibes, Cordy added less than helpfully. As soon as Ace got out of her way, Nancy zeroed in on Buffy. Their eyes met and to Ace, it seemed like an understanding passed between them. The innate recognition of final girls who'd saved the world and seen too much shit in the process. I'm Buffy, the shorter girl said, holding out her hand, the vampire slayer. Nancy shook Buffy's hand with a professionalism that totally glossed over the fact that words like curse and evil and vampire slayer were being thrown around willy-nilly in all seriousness. Then she reached into her pocket and handed over a business card. Legit. Ace was impressed, but then when had he ever failed to be impressed by Nancy Drew? Nancy Drew investigations. Buffy looked impressed as well. Cool. I thought about starting a business after I graduate, but not detecting. Detectiving? Maybe like real estate or fashion consulting? Both booming markets in LA. Cordy snorted at that. Buffy, no offense, but as if anyone would pay you for fashion advice. Buffy rolled her eyes, seemingly used to this behavior from her so-called friends. You don't have one of these on your squad by any chance. Nancy glanced toward Bess, considered for a second, then shook her head. Ace smirked, knowing that Bess only came off petty before you got to know her. Maybe Cordy was the same. With Nancy to spur things along, silently but still firmly, The Scooby gang, as they called themselves trademark violations, notwithstanding, made quick work of Bess's next ritual. Using a notepad to communicate, Bess directed everyone into a circle woven of silence and solidarity, interspersed with voices from an otherworldly place, whatever that meant. As they prepared to do the spell, Ace reached for Nancy's hand without thinking about it. She pulled away from him so fast. It was as if she'd been burned. Nobody noticed except Buffy. Sliding closer past Ace, she took Nancy's hand whispered something soft enough for the final girl's ears only, but Ace couldn't help hearing it anyway. So, you've got one of those too? Nancy blushed, but didn't, couldn't answer. Star-crossed, Ace held its breath, sneaking a look out of the corner of his eye as Nancy nodded. Maybe even cursed to stay apart? Another nod. <sighs> Same old story then. Fuck, Ace wasn't holding his breath anymore. He'd forgotten how to breathe. Buffy sighed, the sound so sorrowful it broke his heart secondhand. God, I wish fate would get itself a new fucking trick. Turning to Ace, she held out her other hand and he took it. When Buffy looked at him, he knew that she knew he'd heard what she said. He also suspected she'd done it on purpose. As Bess and Giles began the spell, Bess gesturing and Giles chanting along, Ace felt a lightning bolt of pain go through him, traveling through Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who stoically channeled the curse without even flinching. Nancy didn't flinch either. Final girls. Before the ritual could run its course, Buffy squeezed Ace's hand, smiling sadly. Hope your story has a happier ending than mine. And scene.
0: These are actual fucking tears in my, oh my eyes. You see <laughs> this shit? I am tearing up. I hate <laughs> you. <laughs> um, you, so to be fair, you
1: did ask for it. Second of all, um, you started it. So don't yeah, start none. So Won't be none. <laughs> Listen, I, I, you are the one that pointed out to me the last time we did the scene that I cut it off in like a very like cheatery quick way. Like I definitely stopped before we got the angst that we would been, we had been promised at the top of the scene. So I feel like this is my way of like delivering what I promised long ago in a way that makes you be like, thanks. I hate it.
0: Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. Thanks. I hate it. But also like I could totally see that happening in a crossover episode, like For doing the Rush crossover episodes that we have had to do, I feel like both of them have gotten to the heart of the matter very quickly. And I also feel like yours was kind of just perfect because, like, it felt like a... Like a montage scene at the end, if that makes sense, everyone coming together before the hand holding and like you explaining with the ritual, but like being vague about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It didn't feel like there was a lack of world building. It felt like it was just like the camera. I could see it in my head, and I'd like the camera was panning over everybody as they came into a circle. Things were happening. Like there was a situation with Nancy and Buffy having this conversation that like I could hear I, I could see how it would be playing out in the show. And it was just awesome. And it was perfect. So like it was one of those like, even though I know you were struggling with the world building at first, it, well, it handled it perfectly. I this think. is why um, I
1: love like no one ever asked me if I know what things mean, because my whole thing is to like. It seems so confident that surely she had a plan going into this. Right. Like, surely, surely. I mean, I definitely didn't just Google the names of like ancient manuscripts and throw them in there for spice. I definitely, you know, did deep research on this. Again, I'm like, you never know if I'm lying, though, because, you know, sometimes I do fixate and depends on the
0: situation.
1: Yeah. And so in this case, it's like, did did does the spell make sense? Is it going to go somewhere else? We don't know yet, but this is a great way to talk about how next time i think we're gonna we're gonna probably record the the f around the pre-f around if you will that we normally do where we're like where we're trying to decide what we're gonna write and why and how how it impacts the rest of the season because sometimes we have a plan sometimes we just kind of vibe it out
0: well and for what we're doing as far as like like how we have been handling the season four situation and like only giving little bits away and honestly flying by the seat of our pants as much as we have been (laughs) like so much of this it's not like any of this is filled out we're really just having fun putting things in making you know prompts for each other as we go and just trying to make it something that's fun for us yeah um I think we
1: keep adding to it by accident in a good way I
0: think exactly and so like it is one of those things where even with like my my Hannibal stuff which like I said would very much be like you know, plot 4B in season 4B rather than like the carnival stuff, etc. Like I tried to leave enough room that it could be still part of the fourth season. Like, you know, oh, the yeah. A stuff oh. isn't finished yet. Um, I'm thinking like I tried to set up something for like Icarus Hall to be an important place because we're for obviously sure. expanding into that. Um, and that's something we can totally discuss because I, I left only a little bit of room. Like I, I left a little bit of a footprint there that we can totally expand on. Um, and I thought that was something we could talk about, too. So, like, I think it's going to be really fun to do that, like, prep episode because we we really have been doing a good job of setting stuff up without meaning to.
1: (laughs) For sure. And remembering that Icarus Hall, it kind of began as, like, a place for, like, the white patriarchy Illuminati bullshit. Like, it's been kind of set up. You Mm -hmm. also, can I make a request? Yeah. So you actually um, like your crossover is actually probably more in line with where the where the show is heading, in my opinion, based on them bringing in Park as an FBI profiler and bringing in Lacey, the true crime podcaster, if you remember correctly, forget
0: about the true crime. So if I podcaster. can make a re-
1: my re- a request. I actually think like your fast forward to like, you know, end or end of season four, like after we've dealt with this pesky curse business that I'm still dealing with in my scene, like if yours basically could totally exist in the same season and make perfect perfect. perfect sense especially if Nancy and Ace like your like little mention of them of being together but can't be together maybe at this point in the story it has nothing to do with the curse anymore and it's something completely different has come between them because that's how people love to ruin our lives but if you could bring in Lacey as a character that moves to Horseshoe Bay to be covering this true crime thing this is my request I'm making for you But also, as you and I know, this, this will play into our ship, our ship agendas, because we have several characters that we're trying to ship with someone else. And I just think Lacey would make an awesome for multiple of our characters in our main. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I I love that actress.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that, um... We yeah, let's put a put a, a paper clip here to come back pin to it, when we're yeah, we're pinning yeah. it. I'm saying paper clip because I always put paper clips on the top of notes because I never have bookmarks anyway. Um yeah, put a pin in it and then we'll come to back to our next episode with our tele discussions, etc. And um, dive into Lacey a little bit more and those options. Cause yeah, I really like that idea, but yeah, I'm really excited for that. And I think that I'm, I loved, I fucking loved your scene. I loved it so much. And I really, I, I honestly, I might ask you to keep doing a little bit more Buffy stuff. Like I might be like, Hey, what if this goes wrong? Because you, I really like the idea of like the spell going a little bit wrong or like I just think that this the the dynamic and the way that you understand the characters so well, especially just like the Buffy characters. Well, you I was I raised are... on
1: the teat of the show. You know, like this is one of the Same, OG, you know? like, you know, one of exactly. the first canonically queer characters that we had in my childhood, at least. Like <laughs> if I could speak as an elder queer <laughs> for a moment here. Like Willow being canonically lesbian was huge. huge. Even yeah, though it's, it's huge. It definitely, you know, doesn't hold up to in every aspect, but it is the original, you know, like that she's the original. And so well, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. I would love to consider, I would love to have her and Bess actually be able to talk at one point. That's what I'm yeah. So what I would really witchy and yeah.
0: Like, yeah, as far as just like the end of this wrap-up episode, this point goes, like the wrapping up of it, I think um if we're making requests for each other for what we're doing in the next next bit, I think that I would love it if we could continue on with your buffy a little bit, your buffy buffy verse additive. And yeah, if we can maybe have the curse be broken enough where they can speak to each other or something, or like, you know, maybe something else has bad has happened because of it. I don't give a shit. But like, let bus, bus, bus. Wow. (laughs) I was trying to say Buffy and Bess at the same, same time. Like, I would love to have, like, a Buffy, Bess, and Willow moment because, you know, the BFF with the crush and everything would be too cute. I think Bess and Buffy would get along so fucking well. They have all of the same... Like, not magic related tastes. And I feel like the trio of them would just have the best time just having a little conversation. And Buffy being like, Oh my goodness, is flirting happening here? Like, are you guys two gay witches flirting right now in front of me? Like, I feel like it could be really cute.
1: In your, if that's the case, if you're going to do Buffy and Bess, you have to make their ship name Buffy because you can't make it Bussy.
0: No, that's very true. That's very true.
1: I'm just saying for the purposes of it. Yeah. I just,
0: and I, I don't mean like, Like shipping for Buffy I mean specifically I just feel feel like like it would be friends and then again you
1: know we're all ships are types of ships ships like friendships are still ships and I think friendship names we should have a ship name for our friendship I feel good we'll talk about that later but do you want to do you want to get us kick us off into our wrap-up
0: yes I will go ahead and kick us up kick us up kick up kick yeah us. we're gonna kick the dust up and kick us up into the, the <laughs> we're rusty we talked about that already it's fine we're so rusty just let this happen we're rusty everything's we have in retrograde I don't know what's the happening. Chaos. <laughs> exactly we're just having a fucking great time that's all yeah. that matters so sure. all righty so with this episode wrap up we don't really have any homework slash references Honestly, if you had fun listening to this and you have any ideas, my homework for you is have fun. And like, we've already done this as homework, but like add to it, do it again, find new things you want to mash up and just see what the fuck happens. That's, that's my homework for you is just have as just do the weirdest creative thing that you can put together that you want to write 2000 words of it. Absolutely.
1: And we're kind of modeling our behavior here because another thing you can do is if you get stuck or if you lack inspiration, you can do what we're doing right now on this podcast, which is trade stuff with a friend. Ask them what they would like to see happen next in the scene or what what parts of the scene they want to see explored more, which is what Ray and I just did for each other. And that can knock another thing loose in a good way.
0: Honestly, for me, one of the biggest things is just being able to talk to somebody else about my work. Like I'm one of those people that I if I talk at somebody, I usually unlock stuff myself. And then when I have another person who's on the same same wavelength as me, especially like V is the perfect example for this, like I will tell V about something I'm really excited about if I'm stuck. And then V will immediately send me like two or three different ideas that have spurred out of their head based off of just the quick thing that I've said. And even if none of those ideas match up with what I've got, they're almost always completely different than anything I'm thinking of. Because our brains, while so similar, are completely fucking different monsters. And we have- yeah, we have a really wonderful way of unlocking that stuff for each other. And I like, V is not the only person I've had like this sort of relationship with, but I will say V is probably one of the most like supportive, like just in terms of like V actively always gives ideas and always is like, okay, here, this is, this is what I see happening. If that's not what you see happening, then like, what do you see based off of this? And so it's really like nice to have that little additive. But even if you just have somebody who's like, yeah, I really like that bit in the scene. I really like this bit. Like maybe these are things you could, you know, expand on. That's all you really need because you just need something to get your brain going.
1: So true. I'm dangerously on the verge of having emotions now though. So I'm I need to change this. Oh subject. no! Uh, no, to not our disclaimers. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it right now! You 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 desist! I will okay. desist. <laughs> so our, our our re-disclaimers, as per usual, we do not own Nancy Drew, the concept, the characters, the town of Horseshoe Bay, nor do we own any of the characters, concept, cannibalism, etc., from Hannibal or Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters, etc., and so forth. In this case, we're using existing and recognizable characters as tools to illustrate storytelling techniques that fellow neurodivergent writers can use to F around and find out, aka figure out how to make art in a more intentional and personalized way. This is infotainment, meaning it's meant for educational purposes and not for profit. Laws Mm -hmm. don't apply to us because we're feral. We resist authority. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That last part is not, that last part is not
0: true. I mean, yeah, sure. It's sometimes, uh, for the purposes of this podcast, it's, it's untrue. For the purposes of this podcast and for the FBI agent listening to everything on my phone. Yeah, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks again for joining us. This has been AU City, a storytelling podcast where fix are fixed and procrastination abides before being cuddled submissively. And we are your co-hosts, Ray and V. All
1: right. Please follow and rate us on your favorite podcast service, including but not limited to Apple, Google, Spotify, and Acast, which is where we're currently hosted, and apparently now iHeartRadio. So welcome, welcome new Thanks. listeners from there. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at AUCityPodcast, on TikTok at Alternate Universe City, And for special requests or just to tell us how much you love us, you can also email us directly. At aucitypod at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. And please, seriously, email us like prompts and shit. Yeah, that would be yeah. fantastic. Memes, if whatever you want. like. it. We love whatever it all. you want. Yeah. So, with that, we would love to let you know that we love you. We want you to stay weird. And we always want you to remember to fuck around and find out with your art, also known as FAFO. Always FAFO with your art. We Fafo love you forever. Special listeners. Go have fun, create what you want, and we'll see you next time. Bye.